Part two, section nine of the Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I have already shown, in the instance of the two last verses of Chronicles and the three first verses in Ezra, that the compilers of the Bible mixed and confounded the writings of different authors with each other, which alone were there no other cause is sufficient to destroy the authenticity of any compilation because it is more than presumptive evidence that the compilers were ignorant who the authors were a very glaring instance of this occurs in the book ascribed to isaiah the latter part of the forty-fourth chapter and the beginning of the forty-fifth so far from having been written by isaiah could only have been written by some person who lived at least an hundred and fifty years after isaiah was dead these chapters are a complement to cyrus who permitted the jews to return to jerusalem from the babylonian captivity to rebuild jerusalem and the temple as is stated in ezra the last verse of the forty-fourth chapter and the beginning of the forty-fifth are in the following words that saith of cyrus he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure even saying to jerusalem thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundations shall be laid thus saith the lord to his anointed to cyrus whose right hand i have holden to subdue nations before him and i will loose the loins of kings who open before him the two-leaved gates and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee, etc. What audacity of church and priestly ignorance it is to impose this book upon the world as the writing of Isaiah, when Isaiah, according to their own chronology, died soon after the death of Hezekiah, which was 698 years before Christ and the decree of cyrus in favor of the jews returning to jerusalem was according to the same chronology five hundred thirty-six years before christ which was a distance of time between the two of one hundred sixty-two years i do not suppose that the compilers of the bible made these books but rather that they picked up some loose anonymous essays and put them together under the names of such authors as best suited their purpose they have encouraged the imposition which is next to inventing it for it was impossible but they must have observed it when we see the studied craft of the scripture makers in making every part of this romantic book of schoolboys eloquence bend to the monstrous idea of a son of god begotten by a ghost on the body of a virgin there is no imposition we are not justified in suspecting them of it every phrase and circumstance are marked with the barbarous hand of superstitious torture and forced into meanings it was impossible they could have the head of every chapter and the top of every page are blazoned with the names of christ and the church that the unwary reader might suck in the error before he began to read 
behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen has been interpreted to mean the person called jesus christ and his mother mary and has been echoed through christendom for more than a thousand years and such has been the rage of this opinion that scarcely a spot in it but has been stained with blood and marked with desolation in consequence of it though it is not my intention to enter into controversy on subjects of this kind but to confine myself to show that the bible is spurious and thus by taking away the foundation to overthrow at once the whole structure of superstition raised thereon i will however stop a moment to expose the fallacious application of this passage whether isaiah was playing a trick with ahaz king of judah to whom this passage is spoken is no business of mine i mean only to show the misapplication of the passage and that it has no more reference to christ and his mother than it has to me and my mother the story is simply this the king of syria and the king of israel i have already mentioned that the jews were split into two nations one of which was called judah the capital of which was jerusalem and the other israel made war jointly against ahaz king of judah and marched their armies towards jerusalem ahaz and his people became alarmed and the account says verse two their hearts were moved as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind in this situation of things isaiah addresses himself to ahaz and assures him in the name of the lord the cant phrase of all the prophets that these two kings should not succeed against him and to satisfy ahaz that this should be the case tells him to ask a sign this the account says ahaz declined doing giving as a reason that he would not tempt the lord upon which isaiah who is the speaker says verse fourteen therefore the lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and the sixteenth verse says and before this child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good the land which thou abhorrest or dreadest meaning syria and the kingdom of israel shall be forsaken of both her kings here then was the sign and the time limited for the completion of the assurance or promise namely before this child should know to refuse the evil and choose the good isaiah having committed himself thus far it became necessary to him in order to avoid the imputation of being a false prophet and the consequence thereof to take measures and make this sign appear it certainly was not a difficult thing in any time of the world to find a girl with child or to make her so and perhaps isaiah knew of one beforehand for i do not suppose that the prophets of that day were any more to be trusted than the priests of this be that however as it may he says in the next chapter verse two 
and i took unto me faithful witnesses to record uriah the priest and zechariah the son of jeberechiah and i went unto the prophetess and she conceived and bare a son here then is the whole story foolish as it is of this child and this virgin and it is upon the bare-faced perversion of this story that the book of matthew and the impudence and sordid interests of priests in later times have founded a theory which they call the gospel and have applied this story to signify the person they call jesus christ begotten they say by a ghost whom they call holy on the body of a woman engaged in marriage and afterwards married whom they call a virgin seven hundred years after this foolish story was told a theory which speaking for myself i hesitate not to believe and to say is as fabulous and as false as god is true note in the fourteenth verse of the seventh chapter it is said that the child should be called immanuel but this name was not given to either of the children otherwise than as a character which the word signifies that of the prophetess was called meher shalal hashbaz and that of mary was called jesus End note. but to show the imposition and falsehood of isaiah we have only to attend to the sequel of this story which though it is passed over in silence in the book of isaiah is related in the twenty-eighth chapter of the second chronicles of which is that instead of these two kings failing in their attempt against ahaz king of judah as isaiah had pretended to foretell in the name of the lord they succeeded ahaz was defeated and destroyed and hundred and twenty thousand of his people were slaughtered jerusalem was plundered and two hundred thousand women and sons and daughters carried into captivity thus much for this lying prophet and impostor isaiah and the book of falsehoods that bears his name i pass on to the book of jeremiah this prophet as he is called lived in the time that nebuchadnezzar besieged jerusalem and the reign of zedekiah the last king of judah and the suspicion was strong against him that he was a traitor in the interest of nebuchadnezzar everything relating to jeremiah shows him to have been a man of an equivocal character in his metaphor of the potter and the clay chapter eighteen he guards his prognostications in such a crafty manner as always to leave himself a door to escape by in case the event should be contrary to what he had predicted in the seventh and eighth verses of that chapter he makes the almighty to say at what instant i shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and destroy it if that nation against whom i have pronounced turn from their evil i will repent me of the evil that i thought to do unto them here was a proviso against one side of the case now for the other side verses nine and ten 
at what instant i shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice then i will repent me of the good wherewith i said i would benefit them here is the proviso against the other side and according to this plan of prophesying a prophet could never be wrong however mistaken the almighty might be this sort of absurd subterfuge and this manner of speaking of the almighty as one would speak of a man is consistent with nothing but the stupidity of the bible as to the authenticity of the book it is only necessary to read it in order to decide positively that though some passages recorded therein may have been spoken by jeremiah he is not the author of the book the historical parts if they can be called by that name are in the most confused condition the same events are several times repeated and that in a manner different and sometimes in contradiction to each other and this disorder runs even to the last chapter where the history upon which the greater part of the book has been employed begins anew and ends abruptly the book has all the appearances of being a medley of unconnected anecdotes respecting persons and things of that time collected together in the same rude manner as if the various and contradictory accounts that are to be found in a bundle of newspapers respecting persons and things of the present day were put together without date order or explanation i will give two or three examples of this kind it appears from the account of the thirty-seventh chapter that the army of nebuchadnezzar which is called the army of the chaldeans had besieged jerusalem some time and on their hearing that the army of pharaoh of egypt was marching against them they raised the siege and retreated for a time it may here be proper to mention in order to understand this confused history that nebuchadnezzar had besieged and taken jerusalem during the reign of jehoiakim the predecessor of zedekiah and that it was nebuchadnezzar who had made zedekiah king or rather viceroy and that this second siege of which the book jeremiah treats was in consequence of the revolt of zedekiah against nebuchadnezzar this will in some measure account for the suspicion that affixes itself to jeremiah of being a traitor and in the interest of nebuchadnezzar whom jeremiah calls in the forty-third chapter verse ten the servant of god end of part two section nine